I don't know if we need a sermon after that. I think we can just all go home now. Morning, everybody. Glad to be here with you this morning. As y'all know, Pastor Randy's not here because if he was, I wouldn't definitely be here for sure. Uh, but he's on the road. He's traveling with his family. He's moving a couple of his kids. And so y'all be in prayer for him this week. He's, a, he's doing a lot of driving and a lot of riding. And uh, he'll be back with us next week. Before we get started this morning, before we get into the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity just to be in your house. What a privilege it is. You're an awesome God and you love us so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Brother Randy and ask you to be with him and his family as they travel this week, Lord. Keep him safe and returning to us. And Father, as we dive into your word, my prayer is that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord. Let your word, your word resonate with your people this morning. Bring glory to yourself. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Those of you who know me know that I'm not a preacher. And I'm not here to preach to you this morning. I'm just here to share God's word with you, some experiences and some stories with you as well. I uh, really wrestled with what, what I needed to talk about. But every time I sat down this week and turned on the television or talked to people that I used to work with, the message, the message became pretty clear for me. And that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, I spent 31 years with GBI, for those of you that don't know me. Started off as an undercover agent and a work drug smuggling, worked down on the coast of Georgia where we caught shrimp boats with tens of thousands of pounds of marijuana and airplanes with hundreds of pounds of cocaine. And then I went to a field office where I spent many years working criminal cases, murders and robberies and rapes and child molestings and things that I really don't even want to think about anymore. But when you work for the GBI for 31 years, you get to do more than just what your daily tasks are. You get to be involved in special details that come into the state of Georgia from time to time. And I was involved in the Democratic National Convention and the Olympics in 96 and the G8 Summit and the World Series and Super Bowl and the list goes on and on. But I want to share a story with you this morning that happened to me back in 1996 when I was working at the Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. I was the assistant venue commander at Centennial Olympic Park, and I had a couple of 300 troopers and GBI agents that were assigned to me and other supervisors in the park, and our job was to keep the park secure. And if you're familiar with what happened in the park, you know that it was not secure. But that, we don't think that that was our fault. We tried to, we came up with a plan, we got over overruled and it was what it was but on the night that the bombing happened up there I was finishing up my tour of duty I'd been at the park that day for about 15 or 16 years I mean uh, 15 or 16 hours felt like 15 or 16 years and uh, I was getting ready to go back to where my wife Jane and my two boys were they were staying with my sister and brother-in-law in Atlanta enjoying the Olympics and I uh, as I was finishing up my tour of duty that day, I made one more pass through the park, and I was summoned to an area where a security guard named Richard Jewell was. He was having some trouble with, with some people over there and asked if I could come help. And to make a long story short, I don't want to bore you with the details. While we were standing there, uh, he points to a bag up underneath a bench right in front of this tower where 
they're camera people and they're projecting uh, the the live entertainment that's going on in the park. They're actually they're they're televising it. And uh, he points to this bag and he said, "Somebody must have left that bag there." And then he turns to me and he says, "How do you want to handle this situation?" So we had dealt with bags like that a number of times in the park over the previous weeks since the Olympics began. And I simply followed the protocol, called for someone to come take a look at the bag. And as we were setting up a perimeter to have a render-safe team come in and actually examine the, the bag, um, we were setting up a perimeter of troopers and GBI agents and other security people in the park. And I was actually briefing my supervisor at the time, a guy by the name of Foots Tomlinson. The bomb explodes behind me, and I'm standing a few feet from it. Of course, it launches me forward. And whenever I got my, regained my composure, it took probably, I don't know, a few seconds, I guess, and I stood up. I called it in. I called in to our command post that we'd had an explosion in the park. And as I looked around, all I saw was just destruction, mayhem, just utter chaos. Several of my troopers and my agents were laid out, severely injured, and we checking on them and people. We had one lady dead in front of us and other people that were bleeding profusely at, at Centennial Park. And amidst all the chaos, even with everything going on, as the paramedic, paramedics started responding and Atlanta Police Department converged on the park, and amidst all the chaos, I remember very specifically just stopping and looking heavenward and praying. I said, God, I don't know what it is that you have for me, but obviously you got something. You know, I still wrestle with him today as to what that plan may be, just like probably many of you do. But I just thank him. I said, thank you for saving me. And we, we got on with business then. And we handled what we had to handle in the park that night. And as I think back so many times at what I did for 31 years, and, and, and as I was praying at that time, I said, Lord, how in the world could, could this happen? This is, this is Georgia. This is not Atlanta. This is not L.A. This is not Chicago. This is not New York City. This is Georgia. How could anyone come into an environment like this in our state and do something so destructive to other people? And I think back at cases that I've worked, all the murders and robberies and all of those criminal cases that I've worked and the number of times I've sat down in front of people who have taken the lives of other people and and gotten confessions from them. I think about how in the world could we do this to each other? Where did we go wrong? Something happened somewhere. And if you pick up the newspaper in this day and time, and if you turn your television on or you go online and you read the news, you see constantly that there's one thing on top of another where we're continuously doing things to each other. Not only in this nation, but all across this world. So I often wonder, and I often make the comment around my house, this country's going to hell in a handbag. How do we, get, how do we go down this tra trail? I don't know. I mean, how do we get so far off track? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Not necessarily how we got so far off track, but what do we need to do to get our nation headed in the right direction? And I think the answer is found in Second Chronicles. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me this morning, and if you, if you don't have one with you, you can just simply sit there and, and listen to God's Word. 
But we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7 this morning. And this is a time in the history of the nation of Israel. Actually, it's a time of great celebration. It's a time when King Solomon had just finished building the temple. And they were having a festival there, a dedication of the temple to God. And it's a time when God appeared to King Solomon and gave him provisions for the people of Israel. But when they sinned against God, when they turned away from him, and when they strayed, he gives them some very specific instructions on what they had to do in order for their land to be healed. And it was um, actually in chapter 6, King Solomon prayed as he was in the process of dedicating the temple. He prayed and asked God for the provisions. Show us, Lord, what it is we need to do to get back on track because we know we're going to sin. We're a sinful people. And when we stray from you, what do we need to do to get back on track? And then in chapter 7, God appears to Solomon at night and he gives him some very specific instructions. So I want us to, to look at chapter, four, uh, chapter 7 here, starting at verse 14, and see what the instructions were that God gave King Solomon back during that time frame and see if possibly those same instructions might help us get our nation back on track. So if you will, just read with me. We'll start at, at chapter 14. And God said this. He said, if my people who are called by my name will do four things. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, God put conditions on the nation of Israel. So very specific conditions. He said, if, he used the word if, if you will do this, then I will do this. So some very specific conditions. And I want us to look at those four conditions today just to see if, why, if they may possibly help us in some way. Let's look at the very first one. We're going to take each one of them individually here and break them down. He said, if my people who are called by, name will, by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves, not make me humble them but if they will humble themselves now if you look at what the definition of humble is or humility is it's simply this it's having a low very low or modest view of one's own importance us not thinking too much of ourselves is what it is and God's saying to us here or saying to the people of Israel here I want you to do this voluntarily don't make me do it and I will if you make me I will if you want me to, but I want you to do it on your own. You know, there are three passages in the Bible that i found, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, where God says this. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace, but gives grace to the humble. God is a humble God. He's a loving God. He's a, he's a merciful God, but he believes in humility. So he's telling the people to humble themselves. And I think we get a very clear picture of humility at its best. I think this is God's view of what humility is and what being humble is. If we look over in Philippians, and I'll ask you very quickly if you'll just turn over to Philippians 2. And if you don't want to flip, just just listen to what, what the Bible says. 
And I'll start at verse 2, chapter 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So humility is putting others ahead of ourselves. You see, humility and being humble is not, it's not a single act. It's a state of being. It's a lifestyle. It's how we should be. It's an attitude. And he goes on to say this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you think about that for just a minute. Here's the God of the universe sitting on his throne, and he don't need us for anything, but he makes the decision to humble himself, to give up his deity, to come down from the cross, to come to this earth in the form of a man and to serve mankind, even to the point of taking on the sins of the world, everything on his shoulders. You're talking about humility, being humble. And he did that for each of us. That's a perfect picture of humility. And folks, if it's not too good for him, why should it ever be too good for us or for the people of Israel? So the first condition is to humble yourselves. The second condition that he placed on the people of Israel was to pray. How can it be that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, who knows everything, can do anything, one that didn't even have to create us but decided to do so, how can it be that he gives us an avenue to speak to him, to talk to him, to communicate with him, to ask him for things, to thank him, to seek forgiveness? He created us to have a relationship with him. And the primary requirement for relationship is communication. The avenue of prayer. What an awesome privilege it is that we can go to him. And not only go to him, but that he would listen to us. As small as I am, that he would listen to me. That he's concerned about me. That he loves me. We have access to the God of the universe and we don't even take advantage of it through prayer. So that second condition was this. You humble yourselves and you pray. The third condition that he put on the, the Israelites was that you seek my face. And I think that he chose those words very carefully. He didn't say that you look for me. He didn't say even seek me. He said that you seek my face. Seek my face. The word seek means to go in search of. It's very detailed. It's a lot more thorough than just looking. When you search for something, you're very proactive. You have intention. You have meaning. And that's what he's telling us here, to go in search of. Seek. Seek my face. 
And that second part, the my part, whose face? My face. The face of Almighty God. The face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek my face. Not the face of some idol or object or worship or someone else that people call God. My face. My face. Jesus said in John 14, he said, and Barry quoted this already this morning, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way, I am one of the ways. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes through the Father except through me. He is the only way to heaven. And that's controversial for some people. It's controversial for our nation to some degree. Many people will argue that that's a very narrow view, a narrow-minded approach. But in reality, it's wide enough for the whole world. He opens himself to the whole world in John three sixteen, He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. So it's open to everyone if we choose to accept it. So that's the my part, the my face. Our God, our God is a very loving and a very compassionate God, but he's a very jealous God too. He is the only God. There's only one. There is only one Son, Jesus, and there is only one Holy Spirit, and they are one. And there is no other way. There is no other way. So he's saying, seek my face. Now let's look at face. Why did he use the word face? Why didn't he just simply say, seek me? Because face is more specific. It's more personal. You think about it. Some of you in here that are parents right now, from time to time you give instructions to your kids and you give it to them from afar, from a, from a distance. You say, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this, do this, or don't do this. But every now and then, you bring them right here in front of you and you put them right here and you say, now I need to tell you something. Look in my eyes. I want you to look at me when I tell you this. And that's what God's saying here. You seek my face. But not only is it specific instruction, but it's also very personal, isn't it? Very personal. Because we identify people with their face. And what he's telling us here and what he's telling the people of Israel here is I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Seek my face. So that's the third condition that he put on the Israelites. And then the fourth one was simply this, to turn from their wicked ways. Simply put, repent. We'll see a change in behavior here. Folks, I want to say something. God, when he gave these instructions right here, he gave them in perfect order, in perfect order. He wanted them to humble themselves and pray and communicate with him and seek his face. And when you do that, if you have that personal encounter with Jesus Christ and if you accept him as your Lord and Savior and if you submit your life to him, I can, promise me, I can promise you, you will never be the same. You can't be the same when you have that personal encounter with Christ. There will be a change in behavior that has to follow. 
if you've truly accepted and submitted yourself to him. So these are the four conditions, the four conditions that God put on the people of Israel. Now you decide, you make up your mind. Are these same conditions appropriate today? If we follow these same instructions, would our nation be better off? Could we get back on the right direction? Would God heal our land? So you have to, you decide. What is our role as Christians? As a body of believers sitting in here. We know Jesus. I hope all of us do and probably some of us don't. But we know Jesus. We've accepted him. We've submitted our lives to him. So what is our role here? Our role is to simply share him. Because in this country and in this nation, there are millions that don't know him, that haven't accepted him. We have to be very careful in the way that we share him. And the Bible's explicit with that. Yes, he is the way. It doesn't change the truth. But in Colossians, and I want to read one more passage of Scripture. In Colossians, first of all, the Bible tells us to be respectful of everyone, doesn't it? But in Colossians, it also says this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm not saying that we need to ram the truth down the throats of anyone. What I'm saying is that there's a way. We have opportunities every day to share the gospel. And if you want to see our country get back on track, there's only one solution, and that solution is Jesus. He's the only one that can do it. Dr. Phil can't do it. Bill O'Reilly can't do it. There's only one solution. Seek his face. His face. Casting Crowns wrote a song a few years ago. And I want Danny to play it for us right now. If if we ever needed you. Just listen to the lyrics of this song. The video will show up on the screen too. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. Let them resonate in your heart as you you look at them and you listen to them.
ever needed you Lord it's now that's a truer statement ever been spoken heard a story a few years back about a little boy who wanted desperately to play with his dad and every day his dad would come home from work and all he would want to do is just sit down in his chair and rest a little while and just chill kick back and watch a little TV and the little boy was very persistent he was four years old and you know how four year olds can be they're jumping up and bouncing down on the arm of the chair and you're trying to, to do something else but he was very persistent having his daddy come outside and play with him or just spend time with him and his dad just kept putting him off and kept putting him off and then on Saturday the little boy knew that the dad didn't work so he knew that he had an opportunity to be able to get him outside to play so when Saturday came and he walks into the living room there and his daddy's just sitting down, he's flipping the remote on right there. He wants to watch a little college football that afternoon and the little boy starts in on him. Dad, let's go outside and play. You don't have to work today. Let's go outside and play just like they do. And the dad kind of got a little frustrated with him. So he takes him, he, he looks down on the co coffee table right there and he sees a magazine that's got a picture of the world on there. So he reaches down and he tears off this picture of the world and he takes his son into the kitchen, puts him up on a stool there at the table and he takes a pair of scissors and he cuts the countries out, all of the countries that were labeled on this global world and he cuts them out and he lays them out on the table and he gives a little boy a, piece, a roll of scotch tape and he tells him, he said, would you put all this puzzle back together when you get done with this then we'll go outside and play thinking that he'd bought some time he could go in there now and he could kick back and he could watch tv the little boy went at the task of putting the puzzle back together 
And the father was shocked. In just a short period of time, the little boy came in and he had it all put back together. And the dad was, like I said, he was shocked. He was amazed. And he asked his son, he said, son, how is it that you could put this puzzle back together so quickly? And the little boy said it was easy. He said, when you tore that picture off of that magazine, a picture of the world, on the back side of it was a picture of a man. He said, so I just flipped all the pieces over and I just simply put the man back together. And when I put the man back together, the world came back together. But folks, me and you, we can't put the man back together. There's only one that can put the man back together. In a month... Almost a month from today, actually, we'll be celebrating Memorial Day in this country, a time when we honor the men and women who've sacrificed it all, this country, some 200 years ago, when the values and beliefs were different about this nation. I can't think of a more fitting way to honor them than to get our country back on track, to have a future for our kids. Pastor Randy did an awesome job in last week's sermon. We talked about our kids and how it's our job to nurture them and bring them along and how many weeks we have from the time they're born until the time they leave us to go to school. Now, we've got to get our nation back on track to preserve a future for them, get our country back to where it was or is one nation under God. I want to do something a little bit different. We're fixing to close in prayer, and I'm going to get you out of here. But I want you to bow with me, and I'm going to read a prayer that was offered up in 1996 by a pastor named Joe Wright when he addressed and opened the session for the Kansas State House of Representatives. So y'all bow, let's read this prayer, and we'll have a time of invitation, and then I'll get you out of here, okay? Heavenly Father, We come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multi culturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us. And see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. And this, Father, we pray pray in your holy name. Amen.
we're going to have an invitation. There may be some in here that, that don't know this Jesus that we spoke about, the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to come down, profess your faith in him, we someone to be down here to receive you. Maybe some of you that have, have made that profession and you just need to be baptized and you need to get that set up through our church and we'll be glad to talk to you about that as well. And maybe some of you that may just want to pray for yourselves or pray for your family members or a loved one. The altar will be open so you just come as you feel led. And maybe some of you that, that want to lift up a prayer for our, for our kids and the future of our country and our nation. The altar will be open. You just you do as you feel led.